Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So nice to talk to you each and every Saturday. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for being such a loyal congregation. It really means a lot. It's the reason I get up after a long day in surgery yesterday. I'm so excited at 8.15, we're gonna be talking to Duke Ipa, a surfer, shaper from Hawaii. Because I wanna talk to him about his dad. I want to talk to him about a man that in 1983 I met and I was warned, he's tough, he's an enforcer, he's mean. And I shook his hand and he could not have been sweeter and nicer to me. A real intimidating looking guy, but a man with a heart of gold. 245 pounds of solid muscle. In high school, Ben Ipa played football. He didn't surf. He was a swimmer, but he didn't surf. He didn't discover surfing till he was like 22 years old. But his innovations, his ability to observe the hotshot surfers around him allowed him to innovate and revolutionize the world of surfing with the shaping he did. But when you look at Ben Ipa's past, this proud Hawaiian in 1965, they have the very first Duke Kahanamoku Invitational. It's the first surf contest ever to be held. Guess what? There's no Hawaiians. There's no purebred Hawaiians in the contest. Ben Ben Ipa met with Duke Kahanamoku and Duke said, how come you're not in this contest? Next year, you're going to be in the contest. He was tough. Let's listen to that interaction. Number six. I think my major goal in my, my label, my, my brand, my name, it's Hawaiian, for one thing. In the industry, less than a handful of actually Hawaiian surnames in this thing. And also the inspiration from Duka Hanamoku. You know, I learned a lot from Duka Hanamoku in my swimming days. Number seven. This company was honoring Duka Hanamoku, a contest for Duka Hanamoku. And I just got into surfing like about only two years. So myself and another surfer from Hawaii, guys was asking, how come you guys are not in it? the Tukahanamuka Invitational because we weren't well known outside of Hawaii. When we were there watching the contest, Duke came to us and go, you guys are going to be in this contest next year. So Duke got us in. It's the toughness. You now are hearing the proud Hawaiian. You're hearing Ben speak there. But as far as his toughness, which really makes people stand offish from him, he's intimidating looking. And yet when Bethany Hamilton has her arm bitten off by a shark, it's this tough guy, Ben Ipa, who steps up and says, I'm going to make her aboard so she can keep surfing. And she, of course, goes on to win championships, this Bethany Hamilton, because of the board that Ben Ipa shapes for her. But this is my favorite soundbite. Number 10. I got a shot of me somebody took when I must have been about 240 pounds coming to a, a contest over here, state contest, carrying two boards under my arm, you know? My hair was long. I had a, I had a beard, a mustache. And uh, it looked mean. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of used it. 
Okay, I, I kind of use it where I don't have to say anything. They just look at me in the lineup and I can get waves as long as I don't blow that wave. Powerful. Number 11. Being a very athletic person, you know, and actually it's mellow out in the surf. Yeah, mellow out in the surf. But the aggression came in, of course, when I positioning and, you know, paddling for the wave and, you know, making the statement on the maneuver, you know, not yelling people off the wave, not yelling people paddling out, just making a statement on my performance on the wave. So I kind of like was doing it for, hey, there's a lot of big guys out there. Come on, go surf, you know. Now listen to him as an innovator. The first guy to put fin boxes so he can manipulate where the fins are on the surfboard so the board would ride differently. Cutting the board to make different points on the board, not just be this streamlined, typical surfboard. It's called a stinger or a swallowtail. Nobody thought this would work. They thought it was a stupid idea. But his keen ability to observe what rides best, what might work, he was amazing in innovating and changing the world of surfing. Number eight. Now, I ventured into putting fin boxes where that, during the time, was a no-no. Now, they want to put boxes drag. Here, I want to put boxes so I can play with my fins, stagger them, things like that. So eventually, it caught on. It caught on, but it took a while again. Number nine. I guess it was a fin at the time, okay? I got this quarter-inch ply. I, I cut a shape like this, like a keel. I sanded it down, foil it, got, got glue, glued it on the back tail of the board and used it right out here. Okay, the, the plywood keel fin was in glass because I was just trying something out. If it doesn't work, throw it away. I never did. I never did. He's a trailblazer, but he had to stick up for himself as a proud Hawaiian and get into that contest. And that paved the way for so many Hawaiian surfers who came after him because he stood up for himself. That beautiful combination of sweetness and toughness. Well, in music, in art, there's nobody like Chuck Berry. Went to jail three times in his life. He was tough. Listen to Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones on Jimmy Fallon's show talking about the day Chuck Berry punched him in the face for touching his guitar. The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Eric Clapton. Everybody gives credit to bending those two strings and innovation that Chuck Berry brought to music and essentially is the father of rock and roll. He's a tough guy. He's Ben Ipa, but he has a softness to him that allowed him to see life as a teenager and put it to music. Let's listen to Keith Richard talking about getting punched by Chuck Berry, the tough guy, number one. Why would Chuck Berry punch Keith oh, Richards? I was in a dressing room. He was doing a gig. Uh, he went off to collect the money, I think. And, That's what uh, always is. He was a tight wad, bless you, Chuck. But, uh, he, he, and his guitar was laid out in his case, and I went, oh, come on, Keith, you know, just a touch. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta play a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, just let me give it a, an E chord. Or, uh, <laughs> he walks in and goes, nobody touches my guitar. Boom! Uh, that's one of Chuck's biggest hits, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting him in the face is his biggest hit. I love it. Let's go into the history of this man who was a beautiful combination of sweet and sour. Number two. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans. Chuck Barry is the father of rock and roll. He laid the foundations for an entire music genre. Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music. 
he found that fire within him and he managed to harness it and make it into the most beautiful and engaging music of all time. Fire and beauty. That's exactly who Chuck Berry is. Let's get into the fire part, number three. In 1944, when he was still at high school, Chuck Berry was actually arrested and jailed for armed robbery. Now, the story goes that he and a couple of friends had decided to go on an impromptu road trip and they'd found a gun um, and they'd flagged down a car and used the gun, which they say wasn't, you know, a working gun to kind of steal the car at gunpoint. Chuck Berry's argument, apparently, was that their car had broken down and that he wasn't really carjacking anybody. He was just stopping the car, and the pistol that he had was a fake one. Obviously, the uh, authorities didn't fall for this. But he took advantage of being in jail till he was 21, his teenage years, to play music in jail, to form a band. That's where it all started for him. He took advantage of that time. Number four. Despite being minors and first-time offenders, uh, Chuck was actually sentenced to 10 years in jail and he was sent to uh, Intermediate Reformery for Young Men in Algoa. And, but it was here this, that he started to uh, sing more. He actually formed his own singing group. This group that he started were actually really quite good. They practiced a lot and they actually played a few gigs. Um, he got out a little bit early as well for good behavior on his 21st birthday. Elvis Presley brought black music to white America. Chuck Berry did the opposite. He brought country music to black music. Number five. Chuck Berry was playing with Johnny Johnson's band and he started bringing in country music, country ballads, initially to black audiences. And he said, well, I was just curious to see what they'd make of it. Suddenly this guy's on stage, he's bringing in like country and western licks on the guitar and bring in all these different ideas. When you're the pioneer of a new sound, you're the most popular guy in the room. And everyone probably wanted him in his band because he had that vigor and that imagination. Number six. Chuck went to see Leonard Chess, expecting him to be very interested in his blues music. Leonard Chess was mainly intrigued by this song called Ida Red that Chuck Berry was doing, which is actually an old country tune. And he said, well, why don't you develop that? And he did, and it became Maybelline. Ida Red became Maybelline because Chuck Berry was smart enough to realize this cosmetic company selling a brand new mascara called Maybelline was going to be advertised heavily. And how great would it be to make Ida Red Maybelline and catch on? And it did. It became a number one hit for his very first song on Chess Records. Incredible story. Number seven. Now you hear this record, you can almost hear rock and roll music being invented in those two and a half minutes. There's nothing that had ever been quite like it before. It was the song that really um, established him. It's incredible to think that his first single was such a huge hit. Maybelline was one of the most successful recording debuts. I mean, straight in at number one on the R&B charts. I mean, it's, it's like the dream story if you're a musician. You're straight up at the top. Ben Ipa watched the young Hawaiians, Larry Bertelman, better known as the Rubber Man, doing all kinds of skateboarding type tricks in the ocean. It was this keen observation he had to make a board go faster, more radical moves, keen observation of his world. Chuck Berry, the same thing. He's keenly observing and has the ability to tell that story. Number eight. By this point, Chuck Berry's releasing songs that have turned into rock and roll classics. Absolute greats. Johnny Be Good. I mean, if you just look at and Sweet Sixteen as well, he is telling and storytelling what it was like to grow up in America at that moment. So even when we listen, when I listen back to it, I think, oh, it just sounds so exciting. And it takes you there. It paints this picture. It's so energetic, but you can sing along with it. And it's great to dance to it. It had everything. They're all about the same thing. They're about being young. He invented the whole genre of songs about cars and girls. And Chuck Berry absolutely nailed that, you know, and he did it in such a simple way. But here's where they again are similar. Ben Ipa having to stick up for himself 
hey, you're having a contest in Hawaii, you need to have Hawaiians surfing it. And Duke Hanamoku said, Ben, you're gonna be in the contest, opening the doors for all kinds of outsiders and all kinds of beautiful Hawaiians to compete in contests being held in Hawaii. He had to stick up for himself. Well, Chuck Berry is in jail and the Beach Boys pretty much take the music and the whole way the song was created, Sweet Little 16, he's in jail, he can't do anything about it. And they write Surfing USA from Sweet Little 16. Except rather than just standing by and letting it happen, Chuck Berry was the first to stand up and say, you stole my song. And the Beach Boys dad said, you're right. You will have the rights. So if you look at that song, the, the credit financially as well goes to Chuck Berry. Number eight. By this point, Chuck Berry's releasing songs that have turned into rock and roll classics. Absolute greats. Johnny Be Good. I mean, if you just look at and Sweet Sixteen as well, he is telling and storytelling what it was like to grow up in America at that moment. So even when we listen, when I listen back to it, I think, oh, it just sounds so exciting. And it takes you there. It paints this picture. It's so energetic, but you can sing along with it. And it's great to dance to it. It had everything. They're all about the same thing. They're about being young. He invented the whole genre of songs about cars and girls. And Chuck Berry absolutely nailed that, you know, and he did it in such a simple way. Now, here's the part. Sorry about that. Here's the part where he's in jail and they try to take his song uh, and credit themselves with it. Number nine. In 1963, the Beach Boys had their first top 10 American hit, Surfing USA. Now, this was clearly based on uh, Chuck Berry's Sweet Little 16. And initially, he wasn't credited as a songwriter. And being Chuck Berry, quite rightly, he kicked up a huge stink about it and eventually he was credited surfing usa sounds a little bit like sweet little 16. it's the same song i think uh <laughs> i'd be annoyed annoyed is beyond words he didn't just get annoyed he did something about it which trailblazed for the shirelles with george harrison and every other situation where your original idea is taken from you you fight back number 10. it's about the boy trying to seduce the girl they're in a car and they can't have any physical interaction okay. because they can't get his seatbelt off i was anxious to tell her the way i feel he's an acute observer of the human condition and of the the sexual frustration of teenagers I want you to hear Chuck Berry's voice. Here he's being interviewed by Charles Osgood, uh, CBS This Morning, number 12. I have to think commercially because uh, if not, uh, it's not fair to the record company. It's not fair to my livelihood. And uh, so I think commercially. I think about what the public would want, you know. Yet and still, if it's not within the feeling that I have to deliver, it does, it, it'll never be heard. When you first went to Leonard Chess, uh, you went with a with a couple of records that you had made, a couple of uh, yeah, tape a recordings, home, I guess. Tape, yeah, and uh, I carried. Uh, he told me to bring four numbers. As a matter of fact, I brought six. Now let's listen to the guys from Green Day, but as well, I want you to hear Chuck Berry's son talking about how people continue, although now he gets credit for it, appreciate the original ideas he had in music, the riffs, all those classic songs. These are the guys from Green Day talking about how Chuck Berry still lives on. Number 14. Everyone's ripped off that riff, you know, many times over and over, and it's just, the crazy thing about that one particular riff in Johnny Be Good is that it's, Gone, it's gone on for over 50 years now. I hear the Chuck Berry double riff. But, uh, you stole that from Johnny Be Good. Uh, I know that's almost grown. Uh, you can't fool me. 
You can't fool his son. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a favorite son, Duke Ipa, about his dad, Ben Ipa, the great Hawaiian surfer and shaper. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. That's right. Mahalo. Aloha. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Ahui hoi. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Riding along in my Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so excited to talk to my next guest, someone who is a proud Hawaiian and carries on the legacy of his dad, Ben Ipa, the great Duke Ipa. Duke, thanks so much for waking up early to be with us. Early? I've been awake for three hours. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I want to take advantage of you being with us, Duke, to... To have the listeners hear your take on what, and I don't want to discount your beautiful career and what you do, but your dad was so special, is so special, and his career is such a beautiful thing to behold. And I had the pleasure of shaking his hand and meeting him in 1983, and it made such a difference in my life of how sweet and nice he was to me. Yet, when I shook his hand, I could feel that he could crush my hand with one, one giant grip. He was a be- he is a beautiful combination of the power, the proud, the pride of being Hawaiian, and the sweetheart at the same time. Let, I want to play a soundbite and hear your take on it, how you feel about it. So let's go to number seven, Steve Paulette. His company was honoring Dukanamoku, a contest for Dukanamoku. And I just got into surfing, like about only two years. So myself and another surfer from Hawaii, guys was asking, how come you guys are not in it? The Tukahanamuka Invitational. Because we weren't well known outside of Hawaii. When we were there watching the contest, Duke came to us and go, you guys are going to be in this contest next year. So Duke got us in. Duke got us in. Take us back to that, Duke. Did he surf, but not officially in the water that day? What happened on that day? What did you hear about growing up at the time? So, so to answer that question appropriately, I really think I need to go back in time a little bit further, like to his humble beginnings, his birth, uh, where, what, his, what background he came from. I mean, his family was a poor sugarcane plantation family from Kauai. Mm. You know, and my dad was truly a a renaissance man mm-hmm. in the fact where his circumstances did not make him. His circumstances did not indicate who he was going to become and what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he had that that power of visualization and, and just creating things from empowering his mind to make it happen. So mm-hmm. fast forward to that event. You know, my dad's a very proud Hawaiian. He's, he's proud that surfing is our heritage that we mm-hmm. share with the world, largely thanks to the great Duke Hanamoku who, who traveled out and shared it all around the globe. Mm-hmm. So this contest, it just boggled my dad's mind why there weren't any Hawaiian-blooded surfers because they weren't well-known. So what do they do? They paddled out in the 65 Duke Kahanamoku not invited. <laughs> they were not invited, and they took off further out, deeper in the wave, had gnarlier drops, and they <laughs> made that statement. They say, hey, you cannot ignore us. Wow. We are Hawaiians, and we deserve the right to be here. And wow. Said, I want to play. That's, a, that's fantastic. I want to play another soundbite because – here you're you're hearing your dad say for the first time he's never gonna look in the mirror he's not some pretty boy from los angeles looking in the mirror more than his wife's looking in the mirror your dad's never looking in the mirrors the only time he gets to see a picture of himself 
is in a photo from a surfing magazine. And that's the one and only time he realizes, holy smokes, I'm a pretty scary, intimidating looking guy. But then <laughs> you, you hear him start laughing. He's, he's, he recognizes how, how superficial it is. But he also realizes if that's what's going to get me where I need to go, I'm going to use it. I love when he laughs as he tells this story. Steve Paulette, let's play for Duke um, <laughs> number 10. I got a shot of me somebody took when I must have been about 240 pounds coming to a, a contest over here, state contest, <laughs> carrying two boards under my arm, you know? My hair was long, I had a, I had a beard, a mustache, and uh, it looked mean. <laughs> so I kind of used it, okay? I, I kind of used it where I don't have to say anything. They just look at me in the lineup and I can get waves as long <laughs> as I don't blow that wave. <laughs> as a dad in the house, Duke, did you uh, see that? Did you see that, that grizzly bear guy, that intimidating guy, and then he picks you up and kisses you? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> he, he was a powerful figure. I mean, even right. being his son, this is my dad. He went to work. He came home. He was my dad. He was a legendary figure. He was my dad. Right. But he had a presence that could not be ignored. So if dad was coming home, dad was coming home. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play a soundbite that only you can really translate for us. And this is a soundbite of Chuck Berry's son, who on a musical level, as innovative and original, but also as tough, listen to Chuck Berry's son talking about his dad, as only Duke Ipa can hear about Ben Ipa. Let's play number 15. You know, first time that I can remember seeing him on stage, uh, I was awestruck, it's like, wow, my dad is on national television. Wow, he's playing that guitar that I just saw him buy. <laughs> you get to see the swallowtail, you get to see the stinger, you get to see Larry Bertelman and every other surfer doing something that initially your dad was told, that's a crazy idea, and now it's blowing up everywhere. But you saw him potching around in the house gluing plywood onto a surfboard, right? See, and, and the thing is, and here's the, the polar opposite between me and Chuck Berry's son, is there, there wasn't awe in that regard because that's what I grew up in. That was normal. Mm. I, I didn't see it as something extraordinary. I saw it as an everyday process, and that's just how we came up. Now, the awe, the awe comes from being in the water or being in the shaping room with my dad. Mm. Not, you know, not, not on the world stage. It's, it's in the personal moments the moments where you're sharing energy in the ocean with the wave you power against power power with power that is the moments where i was in awe because i can remember my dad taking a bottom drop on a wave picking up his back foot circling his ankle around and stomping his back foot down and cranking a turn <laughs> and making a loud like karate noise like, as he carved it through that's where the awe came and then the wow. awesome in the shaping room where I'm watching him take this chunk of foam and turning it into something beautiful, looking mm. at the blend and the balance, the contrast of dark and light, and him making this, this thing that he's putting his energy into to give someone else good energy, to have a good time, and spread that aloha. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my awe. How do you feel, Duke, as a shaper yourself, watching the story of surfing where people start to take credit for many of the things that he originated. I want to play another soundbite and hear what you say about that. This is, again, Green Day talking about Chuck Berry's riff, Johnny B. Good, and then Chuck Berry's son saying, they stole that, they stole that, they stole that. Let's go to number 14. <laughs> everyone's ripped off that riff you know many times over and over and it's just 
The crazy thing about that what one particular riff in Johnny Be Good is that it's gone it's gone on for over 50 years now. I hear the Chuck Berry double riff. But uh, you stole that from Johnny Be Good. Uh, I know that's almost grown. Uh, you can't fool me. You can't fool Duke Ipa either, right? How many times do you see these guys taking credit for something? You go, my dad made that idea come to fruition. Well, let's talk about the sting. The winged board, the first winged board of its kind that turned into a winged twin that everyone in God's green earth makes. So back in the day, I know that my dad had to make some corrective measures for people that were borrowing his design. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of do the same thing now. You know, there, there are very few people that my dad would allow to shape that design. Because honestly, when you think about surfboards, there are very few surfboards that if you look at, you automatically go, oh, that's a so-and-so. When you look at our sting, a lot of people call it stinger, but it's called a sting. When you look at it, you know, oh, that's Ben Ipa's design. Mm -hmm. So... There are very few, and I'll say Mark Richards is one of them that mm -hmm. my dad has allowed to make it. Um, there's a shaper that passed away last year, Poi. He was allowed to make them. Um, not that many people. So mm -hmm. if I see someone making one, I kindly contact them, raise an eyebrow, say, hey, you know, like that shape, but you have to kind of give respect where it came from. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like any other design. Hmm. If you're going to make one, give the respect, say where it came from, and don't sell it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, can you stay on for another segment? I want to ask you, I want to really get into the sweetness. And I want you to take us through what happened in your dad when he heard about Bethany Hamilton. So can you stay on the line? Absolutely. All right. We're talking to the great Duke Ipa. Talking about his dad, Ben Ipa, one of my favorite Hawaiian surfers and surfers in general of all time. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Drink Dr. Flapper. Flapper and I'm proud. I'm part of an original crowd. And if you look around these days, it seems to be a Dr. Flapper craze. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I have a Beatles wig on. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Having so much fun talking to the great Duke Ipa about the legacy of his dad, Ben Ipa. A proud Hawaiian, an innovator, a renaissance man, truly. But now I want to talk about the soft side of this powerful man. Duke, I want to talk about what your dad did from his heart to rescue Bethany Hamilton. But first, I want to play a soundbite of where this comes from in your dad's own words. Steve, let's play number three. Yeah, I'm a part of that continuation from the swallowtail. Again, came from me watching Larry and the future of surfing. Martins, Mark Ladell, Dane Kiloha. Their surfing, again, was so far ahead. The boards had to catch up with them. That's why they came in with the sting. Because these guys were riding their fins forward. They were surfing forward. And the boards in the back third wasn't reacting. Duke, your dad watches how the surfer individually rides the wave, even to the point that he can now imagine and extrapolate the future of what it's going to be like for this young girl to both paddle and then have to grab the board to jump up to ride and stand on the board. He must, it just comes from inside him as this innate ability 
Tell us the story of Bethany Hamilton and your dad, Ben Ipa. Wow. That's a heavy one, you know, and as much, um, as much credit as would people pay towards my dad to elevating Bethany and helping her get past, um, not even get past, but, but use to her advantage, her situation. It's not, it's not a handicap. That, that was an advantage for her to become what she became. Mm. So my dad actually attributes her for saving him huh. Be- because he had a heart attack not too long before that incident. And it was her spirit that encouraged him to heal himself. So wow. it was a symbiotic relationship. Wow. It was amazing. You're amazing, Duke. You're going to make everyone cry listening to that story. Wow. I'm already crying. Every time you play a soundbite, I hear my dad's voice. I'm crying. <laughs> I just came back, came back from the Big Island from visiting with him. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's having a hard time, you know, last chapter of his life. And thankfully, he's in the beautiful hills of, of the Big Island to, you know, kind of rest and, and take each day one by one. Um, but thank, thank you for this moment. Thank you. You're very welcome. And he is, of all the sound bites of him sticking up for himself and being the trailblazer and, and putting the fin boxes where he was told you shouldn't and then everybody then wanted to do it. <laughs> the part that I love the most, and I may be a Jewish guy from New York, but this entire show, my whole life, is about something I discovered in Hawaii, and it's called the Spirit of Aloha. And that is doing good, not expecting anything back in return. Duke Hanamoku had it, and so does your dad. But listen to the pride he has in being the trailblazer. Steve Paulette, let's play, play number six. I think my major goal in my, my label, my, my brand, my name, it's Hawaiian, for one thing, in the industry, Less than a handful of actually Hawaiian surnames in this thing. And also the inspiration from Duke Hanamoku. You know, I learned a lot from Duke Hanamoku in my swimming days. And it all comes full circle because he then has a son that he names Duke, and that is you. Tell me a little bit about your work, where I can get a Duke Ipa board because I'm big like your dad. I'm 5'11", and I weigh, unfortunately, over 200 pounds. So I ride. I've got a sippy board that's 11 feet, that's triple stringer, that's got a handle in it because it's four inches thick. I ride a Walden, also has a handle in it. Someday my dream's going to be to have Duke Ipa shape me a board with a handle in it so I can feel your dad's presence in the board I'm going to ride. Tell us about your shop. Tell us about your work. Oh, first of all, man, again, just no pressure being named after the great (laughs) and son of Ben Ipa. No pressure. (laughs) Fortunately, my my brother can share the load with me. He's on the North Shore. He's got Hawaii on lock. He's doing amazing things as well. Uh-huh. Um, love him, and and it's it's so powerful. You know, it's not just one of us, like right. um, building upon our dad's legacy. There's two of us, so it's like yeah. like a great Greek tale where the father lays the foundation, and the sons raise the pillars, and then the grandsons erect the roof, and you know the mm-hmm. same one continues throughout time. Well, as long as as we're allowed to exist, and we don't really you know, do something dumb, the human right. race. <laughs> well, it's coming. What's the name of, this, of the company? Ipa Surf Company. So my dad, throughout time, has always answered the phone, Ipa Surf, Ipa Surf. So that's Ipa Surf Company. Wow. So, and you're based? Sorry? And you're based where? How do we get a hold of you? Oh, man, you can get a hold of us uh, through the website at ipasurf.com. That's A-I-P-A-surf.com. 
ipasurf.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram, at ipasurf. It's pretty simple. Great. A-I-P-A, surf. Great. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how. But, man, let's get a board under your feet, because if you don't have <laughs> one yet, you are missing the boat. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. I can't thank Jared Abrams enough for getting a hold of you and for you really sharing this time with us. The, the, the father-son's story, yes, it may have been a big burden, but I don't think anybody could have done it better than the two boys that Ben had in the two of you. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. In a crazy world, you really have brought a ray of sunshine to all of us this Saturday. Thank you so much. Trying to maintain that legacy of Aloha. Yes, it's my pleasure. God bless you. Mahalo. All right, Warriors. Coming up next, I'm going to open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what your new nickname is for me? <laughs> Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way back up in the woods among the Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm still high from talking to Duke Ipa about his dad, Ben. Just, just hearing him laugh. Both Duke and Ben. And Ben was one tough. He's like Dick Butkus. But you hear Dick Butkus, who I interviewed on this show, and you hear him laugh. It's such a beautiful thing to have a big, tough guy being so playful. It's beautiful. Chuck Berry the same way. All right, the number is 877-710-ESPN. The lines are lit up. Let's go to ARC. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hello, Dr. Clapper. How are you? I've been a long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, you're making my day. Thank you very much. So where would you grow up? How young are you? What do you do for a living? What your dad do for a living? Um, well, I'm, originally, I immigrated from Russia as a child. I was seven years old, but I've been living – I'm 49 now, so I've been living – in the LA area most of my life. I'm in Burbank Great. now. I've lived in Glendale. I've lived in Orange County, kind of all over the place. And what do you do for a living? It's my, I, I have my own business. So I'm basically an office guy running my own business, sitting in front of a desk type of thing. But I'm a very active guy. I've been, uh, like I said, I'm 49 now. I've been lifting weights since 17. So what's your uh, specialty? As far as business or lifting? Yes, weights? business. Oh, I own a uh, hair loss uh, salon, actually. Nice. And what did your dad do for a living? Uh, well, this goes all the way back to Russia, uh, and my dad died almost 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, actually. Um, he was uh, a driver. Interesting. Yeah. He was, was, a, he was he a driver, a, a but he driver. was a bright guy who happened to be a driver and could have done anything? No. You know, back in uh, the Soviet Union days, uh, you were basically a laborer for the most part if you weren't a highly educated person. So Got it. He was, Got he it. was basically a truck driver. You know, growing up in, uh, I mean, I was born in 57, so I got to watch Jim McKay and ABC Wide World of Sports and then the Olympics with ABC Wide World of Sports. So I remember sitting in my house in Far Rockaway with my dad, rooting for the Russian weightlifter, Alexiev, Vasily Alexiev, because Jim McKay made his story so fantastic. He must have been an all-time hero for you and for all of Russia during those early Olympics lifting weights, the bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the name. Um, I was very young then, but I do remember. Yeah, you're too young to remember. He was unbelievable. Here I am, an American kid rooting for the Russians, but he was just such a charismatic dude, Alexiev. All right, how can I help you? What you do to yourself? Well, this morning I'm driving, listening to you like I always do and never called in, but you described that shoulder procedure. Yes. it hit me because uh, that's what I have. I've been dealing with it for over a year, and I only least recently finally got an MRI and, and saw an orthopedic. 
and um, I wanted he he didn't bring up the procedure that you talked about, and he's not very communicative and informing as far as what my options could be. So I finally succumbed to, I'm, I'm an anti-drug, anti-surgery person. And uh, mm-hmm. he's been telling me to do a, an injection. And I, I, no. I literally just had one injection done a couple of days ago. Um, and he's talking about. I, I thought you told me you listened to the show. How can you let them give you a shot of cortisone? I'm going to smack you. I know, I know. Believe I held off for a year. Believe me, I, <laughs> I I felt like I had no choice at this point. Well, let me tell you something. Uh-huh. You won the prize today. You can call my office on Monday, tell them I spoke to you, and tell them I said it's okay, so you don't you don't have to wait three months. You can come and see me, and I will be happy if you want to help you get through all of this. You always want to be holistic first. You want to try to give it time to heal. Let me tell you, years a long time. You want to try physical therapy first. You do it for about a month. You don't have to torture yourself for two or three months. You'll know if it's going to get better with therapy in a month. And the Clapper Vision visual is you're not making the spur go away, but you're making the fact that the spur is rubbing on the tendon, creating internally a blister. But you know, Ark, that it doesn't make sense to rub a blister, which hurts. Right. But ultimately the blister becomes a callus so that you can live happily ever after with the spur if the blister can be made into a callus but if it persists then and i do hundreds of these thousands over 31 years you elegantly go in with a puncture procedure fiber optic see the spur and use the very sculpting tools i use to carve michelangelo's marble to elegantly file down that spur. And then it's, um, as we say in Yiddish, it's a machaya. You have a shoulder that doesn't hurt anymore. You can put your seatbelt on, you can put a jacket on, you can, you can grab for things and it doesn't hurt anymore. That's the beauty and elegance of doing an arthroscopy. And it's called a sub because it's below like a, like a subway a chromial, because that's the name of the bone on the tip of the shoulder that you can feel right now, subacromial decompression. What are you decompressing? You're decompressing the icicle, that, that rock hard tooth that's growing south from the undersurface of that bone and literally digging into the rotator cuff. The specific muscle is called the supraspinatus muscle. Do you have your MRI in front of you or no? Not in front of you, uh, me, but I do have a disc at home and a report. So at, uh, let's, let's do this then. If you want, next Saturday, I'll tell Steve to make time for you. You'll call in and have the MRI report right in front of you because now that you had a shot arc, you can't have surgery for three months because wow. of the risk, increased risk of an infection. So... You're not having surgery so fast anyway, but I would love to explain what's going on your shoulder with some clap revision. You call next week and I'll put you at the front of the line and we'll do some explanation of what your MRI is. How's that? Oh my God, that sounds great. Thank you so much. I can't believe it. All right, Ark. You're a total stranger. I never met you. You know how you're going to thank me? You're going to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Absolutely. I do that all the time. I'll do more of it, though. Thank you so much. All right, Ark. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks so much for calling in. All right, Warriors. I've been talking about how to deal with the freezing cold evenings that we're all dealing with, and I've come upon the greatest solution so that you can sleep through the night as warm and cuddly as if it was in Hawaii. Here's the answer. Go to sleep wearing a hooded sweatshirt and put the hood up. That hood touching the side of your face on the pillow, it's just like the way a wetsuit works. It traps the air and now your body heat heats up that layer of air between your skin of your cheek and the pillow. It is without a doubt the greatest way to go to sleep at this point in our seasons, which seasons don't seem to exist in Los Angeles. But to me, 
it's the greatest thing you can do. Get yourself a hooded sweatshirt. We used to have weekend warrior sweatshirts. Um, I'll have to see if we can actually get them, which would be really awesome to do again. Uh, we'll have to work on that. But in the meantime, that's my solution for you. And next week, we're going to talk about something here in Los Angeles that is near and dear to me. And it's called the Apollo Field. It's an area in the San Fernando Valley that is a natural preserved area. It's flat and it's off of Woodley. And the place is called the Apollo Field because it's the remote control field for the San Fernando Valley. So you have many folks who fly jets, airplanes, helicopters, gliders with a remote control device. And we're going to have the president of the Valley Flyers as our guest next Saturday. He's going to teach us a little bit about what we are supposed to be appreciating that we really don't appreciate when we look at these folks do it. And here's the best part. You park your car. It's free. You stand there, you watch these guys who devote their entire lives to these model airplanes. It's a passion for them. I don't care what your passion is, but if you've got passion, it's just the coolest thing to be around in life. And that's what they have. But there's a history to this place, and we're going to hear all about it. But it made me think already, what am I going to talk to him about in art and in sports? And that's where Alfred Hitchcock and Ray Berwick comes in. He's the guy who trained 300 seagulls for Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds. To me, it's the ultimate remote control. But how did he do this? We'll get into it next week. Until then, enjoy your week, and I'll see you on, your, on the radio. And I leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Thanks for telling your friends.